Well, hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? My name is Ian Eskridge, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Xavier Sanchez and Danny Miller. Welcome to another episode of White Sox Daily Live. Uh, we have been uh, generously uh, given some time by the two gentlemen at Good Guys Talk Back, Nick Morowski and Patrick Hester. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm super. Uh, I don't want to speak for Nick, but uh, it's a great night. Thanks for having us, and really looking forward to uh, to talking White Sox baseball with you folks. Yeah, absolutely. Just just looking forward to talking to uh, to you guys, uh, passionate, smart Sox fans uh, about Sox baseball. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, you guys were nice enough to invite me onto uh, your guys' podcast for. Uh, for a couple of minutes over there and um, wanted to absolutely return the favor because I had a good time and a good conversation. So it's uh, certainly wonderful to have you guys over here. Uh, Danny, Xavier, how are you guys doing tonight? Uh, I'm doing pretty um, I'm doing great. It's all, uh, as, uh, as Patrick said, uh, but, uh, you know, Nick says that uh, he might have been right about the passionate part of the Sox fans but uh i think he when he was talking about smart socks fans he was talking about you so uh, yeah good luck (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um well i i'm assuming that you guys uh saw the news that came across the wire earlier today that uh ex-white Sox gm uh and three-time exec of the year roland heeman passed away um obviously put together uh, the 83 team that you saw out there when uh, we were all just bouncing around uh, in probably elementary school or uh, as for Xavier, uh, a sparkle in his uh, daddy's eye. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's, we saw Lamar Hoyt. Now we've got Roland Heeman. It's just it, the, the, uh, those guys, um, you unfortunately, you know, you're going to see some of that uh, coming up here in the future and um, put together some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, you guys got uh, anything to say about uh, the gentleman, Mr. Heemond? Thing, the things that uh, you read, you know, it's it's pretty common for, you know, the after after someone passes it's just all of a sudden these articles come out of the woodwork about this guy and i had read about him and, and heard about him as a lifelong Sox fan and everything that he uh, did for the franchise and um i mean boy i, I did not hear a bad thing said about him in, in all of these tribute articles and uh what he was able to to orchestrate and the, the things he was able to pull off in the 70s. And, uh, I mean, the 83 team in Sox lore is, I mean, it's on a different platform, you know, and, and I feel like the 83 team is growing more and more like this beast. Um, and, you know, look, like they didn't win anything, but it was pretty amazing season and everything, all the personalities that came out of it. And, and he was a an architect for that. So just because he had his hands in that 83 team, I mean, that's pretty, pretty damn special. Well, that team, Nick, you know, you, you talk about a, a team being romanticized over the years mm-hmm. and, and that team a lot with the look, right? How they did it. 
and and how close they came and it's just unfortunate they never were able to you know push it you know across the finish line but uh you know it's it's always sad when you hear these types of things because it kind of makes you feel you know as as i'm 40 nick is going to be 41 uh in a couple days you just kind of realize you're getting older and and you look back and it's like oh man uh, somebody from the 83 team another person is, uh, has left us and uh, and then you think about the manager of the team <laughs> you know so it's like uh, you know, it's 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 a little bit uh, it, it's yeah it takes you back it takes to it puts you back a it's little sobering. bit it's sobering it's mm-hmm. sobering yeah yeah it's pretty crazy you look at uh, you know Heeman actually traded TLR to the Cardinals in 76 and then uh, ends up hiring him back later on but if you look at some of these transactions from Hemond, uh, it's pretty insane stuff. You know, you got Tommy John for Dick Allen, which I mean, right there. I mean, Tommy John guy's got a surgery named after himself for crying out loud. And, uh, you know, obviously Dick Allen just missed the, uh, the hall in the uh, golden committee by one vote, which is absurd, but we won't, I, I don't need to rehash that again. Um, traded another guy who just got into the hall of fame, uh, Jim Cott, uh, for Alan Bannister, um, another one of those names that I remember from when I was a little kid, you know, having his, you know, 1980 Fleer or whatever it was. Uh, Stan Bonson for Chet Lemon, which gets the ball rolling for me as, you know, as, as a child because Chet Lemon was my favorite when I was a, you know, when I was a wee lad. Um, he wasn't here for too long, but uh, he was my favorite. And, uh, you know, Goose Gossage, another Hall of Famer, traded for Richie Zisk, big deal. Uh, Bucky Dent, traded for Lamar Hoyt and Oscar Gamble. Um, Brian Downing for Bobby Bonds, uh, Richard Dotson, and Thad Bosley, another one of those uh, long-time, you know, like a long-ago White Sox names that uh, we all remember. And then uh, Bobby Bonds then traded for Claudel Washington. And in... That ser- that uh, that season that he traded Bobby Bonds happened to be the only season uh, that a White Sox player would go thirty and thirty, and he got traded uh, really early in the season. So the Rangers got pretty much all of that, uh, all of the good stuff. And uh, I mean, not that Claude L. Washington was bad by any means, but uh, you know the fact that this team, uh, you know, thirty thirty still missing, uh, you know. Pretty pretty bad. Uh, and then he gets uh, Greg Luzinski for cash. Uh, and he gets uh, Wimpy, Tom Pachork, for Jim Essien. It actually traded Jim Essien twice, uh, the uh, former Cubs manager. Uh, traded him twice, so that's a good one. And then traded Lamar Hoyt for Luis Salazar, Tim Lawler, and Ozzie Guillen. So, that's the big one. Yeah. yeah that's the biggie. Just, I mean, the, just the names attached to that with uh, with White Sox lore since I was a little kid anyway, you know, just the names in that and, and in the Hall of Fame as well. It's just a monster list of players. Do you remember, you know, something that Jerry always says is, you know, uh, organizations win championships and it takes a good architect and they're able to put a good team together to, to win. And obviously a lot of good pieces, but never enough to actually – uh, get it all done. Yeah, that's uh, that was probably that's the most unfortunate of his uh, 
his accolades, you know, his, his line of work that uh, Ian just kind of ran, ran down for us there. Uh, the most unfortunate thing is that he didn't get the job done. Uh, but, uh, you know, that take away from the moves that we just talked about, uh, obviously brought in some big names. And, you know, as Ian said, some of those guys are, uh, you know, what started it all for some of us uh, Sox fans who are now in their, you know, 40s or older. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned guys like Alan Bannister, who, again, Ian and I are near the same age. So that was one of those ones when I was a wee lad as well. But, uh, you know, you talk about the bull, Greg Luzinski. I remember being really young and going to my first house game and being lucky enough to be at one of the games that uh, he hit a roofer. So, you know, uh, thank you for uh, bringing him there and uh, putting him in front of, or at least giving me the opportunity to be in front of that uh, that home crowd, or be part of that home crowd and see that kind of thing happen. Because, uh, you know, my dad was a, uh, a fan of the guys up north. Oof. And, uh, you know, had I not had those opportunities, I might not be sitting here talking with you guys today. So, uh, you know, just a big thanks for me for uh, everything that he's done for the organization early on. Uh, was he, uh, Ian, was he a uh, Hawk Harrelson casualty? Uh, he, yeah, he got, uh, he got replaced by Hawk. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that's, yeah, I, he, uh, yeah, that, that basically, uh, and that also, uh, was the, uh, the death knell for Tony La Russa as well. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. Yeah, that that whole thing, uh, pretty big fiasco, really. You know, I you look back at that and uh, that decision. Um, we're still paying for it, I guess. If you want to, uh, if you want to complain about TLR getting rehired, um, <laughs> you know, we're yeah, still paying. Yeah, yeah, but you know, the the Hoyt for Gian completely changed the White Sox organization. I mean, you know, Gian comes in. He, he plays for the organization, is a fan favorite, um, you know, and boy, comes back to manage, would have probably never gotten the job, you know, if he wasn't a player for so long. And then look what happens. Um, so that that is just that how one move, you know, can can change everything. It's the butterfly effect, Nick. Yeah, there you go. So I wanted to uh, actually latch on to uh, one of the things that you said, Pat, which was that it takes a team to win a championship. Uh, you know, that thing that you heard about the the Bulls and uh, Jerry and Jerry talking about that it takes a an organization to win. Um, we've all heard the, uh, I don't even know how you would say, I guess, adage that uh, you root for the laundry, not the player. So mm-hmm. when it comes to the CBA and how things are going now, when you are rooting for the laundry, that would be considered uh, ownership. But I think that I speak for probably all five of us when we look at the labor negotiations that are going on now and uh, thinking that the players are kind of getting the short end of the stick when it comes to the uh, the payouts, when it comes to the money. How do you guys feel about that? Well, there's no doubt about it, but the thing about it is the players signed, you collectively bargained for the, the deal that they currently have. So it's on them that they have a poor union. 
So that's one thing. Uh, it's not like uh, they they didn't sign this agreement that they're currently paying or playing under. Uh, so I, I try not to get too wrapped up in in these labor negotiations because it goes the same way every time. It's here comes the league. They're going to try and smear the players. The players try and do things behind closed doors. Things get leaked. Everybody's trying to make the other side look bad. It's going to get ugly. It's going to get a lot uglier before it gets better. And and, and this is the way these two uh, bodies have have fought against each other for years. So I don't get too wrapped up in it. I'm just hopeful that there will be baseball played. I hope hope for spring training because that's something I would love to be able to go out and do again this year is go out to Arizona and watch baseball in the sun. Um, but I, I don't get too wrapped up in it. I, I think they'll get it figured out. And and hopefully the players have uh, are strong enough to keep unified and get the things that they deserve. Yeah, uh, I actually have a question for you on that, just because, uh, you know, you say that you don't like to get wrapped up in these things, and I won't, you know, I won't make it go too deep, but, uh, you know, we talk about how this, you know, they signed themselves into this current, or at least the CBA that just expired. Um, how do you feel about the fact that back when this past CBA was signed five years ago, uh, that everybody basically knew that this coming CBA agreement was going to be a war because of the one they signed and they felt like the players got shafted. How do you feel uh, that's kind of affecting things now? Is it, are you, do you think that that's going to make things worse because they knew how bad they had screwed themselves this last time around? Uh, like let's, let's, uh, let's make up for our past sins. I, I don't know. I think that it, the union's got to do a better job of taking care of the, the lower end, you know, the, the lower paid players, right? It's, it's always right now that everything has always been and always will benefit the top players, the guys that are making the lion's share of the dough in the league. And those guys don't really care. And as long as the top end guys don't care too much about the, what the low end guys are making, it's going to be that way. Cause look at all the guys that got, just got paid. It, they they could have done handled things differently, and they could have waited, and they could have stayed strong. But they they got a payday, and they pounced on it, and they took advantage of it. Um, you know, and it's it's the the wanting the teams to have some sort of a floor. Um, it doesn't matter for the top end guys because they don't care. They're never going to be close to being play, paid a salary floor. So that's that's the problem with the baseball side, the player side of it, because there's a vast array of guys getting vastly different salaries. And when you're owners, you've got the, the 30 owners and they're all, you know, they're all, you know, well compensated for, for their organizations they run. Nick, you got anything you want to add to that? <clears throat> well, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, there's this inequality with especially you know, the, the race to the bottom, um, that these teams are realizing, well, it actually pays for us to, to kind of tank, uh, cause the system is worked out. We'll, we'll get a high draft pick. And I think players are, are pretty pissed about that. They're like, well, maybe that shouldn't be the way things uh, are done. I, I don't know exactly how to reward those draft picks, but maybe you shouldn't be rewarded for tearing it down and having, you know, a, a rebuild. And then when you look at, you know, some of the major ticket items that I just don't know how they're going to figure out in terms of when players go to free agency, 
you know, their service time, how that is involved. I think the players are, you know, they're protective about their prime years, right? And, you know, the owners also have their angle of, well, you know, if you go to free agency at a certain year, then I'm probably going to have to open up the wallet a little bit more. Um, and, and then you look at playoff money and you look at revenue and like, well, what, uh, well, I, how much money are the players getting? from all the sponsorships and the TV deals and everything. And it's, it's a fraction of what the owners are getting. So the players are going to have to figure out, you know, are we going to have to advertise, um, you know, put logos on helmets and get, you know, companies to advertise on, on jerseys and stuff. So we can get that cut. Cause we got to get our cut somehow. There, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of inequalities in the game of baseball from, you know, the ones that have it to the ones that do not have it. And, and it's like, you know, trying to shrink that gap is going to be a real issue. Yeah, I agree. And it, the unfortunate part is, is we don't really gap there is between players and players because obviously uh, baseball is not a publicly traded uh, commodity have to open up their books and tell us you know what kind of money they've got going on you know throughout the system we hear that uh, the mlb as a whole is worth uh in the area of 11 billion now uh and is increasing year over year but we don't exactly know which teams have what kind of money uh we can look at the reports of what we're getting but nobody's really actually opening those books up and us as fans we tend to at least if the, the fans that i come across tend to take the side of the players in these situations because we think of these billionaire owners as exactly that they're billionaires. And yes, these players are, a lot of them are, you know, multi-millionaires, but we really don't know the idea of the, the, the vast amount of exactly where those uh, financials are at. And uh, it's just unfortunate. I did a, uh, a deep dive yesterday um, from one of, one of our, uh, watchers of the stream uh his name's Grimtall in the chat and uh he sent me some stuff on uh some financial and like kind of like a just a, a breakdown of the 94 strike and um just seeing the the issues that were happening then and the issues that are happening now it's not far off i mean it's pretty much the same thing that they're always arguing about and uh, it, w- it was really interesting to see that uh, the the breakdown of uh, it was kind of you know each each strike and more or less what caused it uh, before he got into the the ninety four strike and um, basically broke it down that the the reason why the owners have a hard time is because there are essentially three groups of owners. You know, depending on what their uh, hierarchy is in the market size and in the money that they make, and it makes you know everything difficult for them because they have such strong opinions, whether it be uh, you know harder on labor or whether it be uh, you know wanting more profit sharing or whatever, and even that getting them to agree with each other what they want is difficult. And then when you add on that they're fighting against a completely separate group of people that all have things that they want, um, it's, it's pretty rough. The, the good thing that the players do 
is they generally stick together pretty well, uh, despite the fact that you've got guys that are making league minimum, you know, suffering when you've got these guys who are making $30 million a year who are the ones who are generally in the ear of, you know, the negotiators half the time. So it's a kind of a weird, weird thing. Um, I wanted to uh, jump to something that you guys were talking about on your last pod, which was the playoff format. And you guys brought up something that I thought was pretty pretty funny to me, uh, especially just the, the idea that playoff teams might be able to pick their opponent. And you guys brought up an interesting point that – there might be uh, who gets the decision and what kind of finger pointing happens when it doesn't work out the way you think it's going to work out. Um, do you guys want to expound on that for, uh, for our uh, listeners? Yeah, you know, it is uh, come to my attention that this is a real thing that's being kicked around, that if you are a division winner, you can handpick who your first round opponent is going to be. I think there's some more details to that um, specifically, but that, you know, seems fun, right? That 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 could get some viewership, but I, I, my head exploded when, when you know all of like what what White Sox Twitter is like during a regular week of baseball, uh, and what it would seem to be like if you as an organization are going to be able to pick your opponent. Well, who's making that decision? Is it Reinsdorf and Kenny? Is is Han making a decision? Is is it Tony? Are they writing names down on a hat and a piece of paper and putting them in a hat and then drawing them? What do the players have to say about this? Are they unified of like, well, we should be, we're the ones playing the game. We should be the ones making the choice. And then is that bulletin board material for the team you're playing? And is that a psychological thing of, well, maybe we don't want to go with a quote unquote lesser team. Maybe we should try to play up to the competition. Um, Right there are several scenarios that make my brain just numb. And Pat, I know you, I know you had some other stuff on it too. Well, I'm all for interesting. I'm, I'm all for injecting any kind of life into the game to get people to talk about it because for outlets like ours, outlets like this, it makes it's for fantastic theater, right? Even, yeah, you want it to work out obviously, but uh, you, Nick, you just mentioned it. Yeah, Twitter is a is an interesting place sometimes, and that would that would be an interesting time, especially if it doesn't work out. I, I want it to work out, but if it Man, doesn't so, work out, sorry oh, to work. interrupt, but just just look at last night. Nagy didn't go for a fourth down play, <laughs> and Twitter exploded on him. Can you imagine if the Sox pick some team and we get bounced? I mean, you know, go, I'm sorry. I, you know what, Nick? I, I'll have to. I, I took a mental health day from the Bears uh, yesterday. <laughs> And when I looked at Christmas lights instead of watching the game, uh, oh, but no, I, I hear you, but listen, man, for, for talk radio, for, for these kind of outlets like ours and this podcast, it's, this is fantastic theater. And I I'm with you. I, I think the whole thing is great. Let's talk about the, who gets to choose, who would you choose? Who do you think should choose of any of you guys? Xavier, we haven't heard from you. Yet. What do you think? hear you danny but i did hear you wanted me to talk so uh, i do agree in how it does it's a perfect kind of like just to spark the conversation and who 
the blame if this doesn't work out. Uh, one of the things that it reminds me of, but with uh, higher stakes involved, uh, somewhat higher stakes, you're still paying uh, in college basketball when the big schools pay to play these uh, smaller D1 schools and end up losing out. And for those schools, they just lose out on millions of dollars. But here, it's millions of dollars and their playoffs uh, chances. So uh, I don't know how it would work. Yeah, just to, to me, it, it's like one of those things that just seems like a bad idea. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, I, I was going to say, in my mind, I envision there's a player rep to begin with. So maybe that player rep is the spokesperson for the players, and they have to have a sit-down uh, with management and have a conversation. Okay, this is our; these are our points and why I think we would play well against this team or why should we should. They have to have input. And you have to sit down with maybe the coaching staff. They, The coaching staff and the players come to an agreement, and then they have to go to maybe Sox Brass. That seems like a lot of, of sit-downs. I, I feel like, Nick, it's got to end with the manager. I, I think the, the manager is the one making the decisions on the field. I, I think he hears from all parties, but ultimately the decision lies at his office. And he was employed for that those types of things. And, and you live and die with what, what the decision is of your manager. Yeah, the, I see. I hear your point on that. But in, in, you, in theory, that would make sense. He's the one that makes the lineup card. He's the one that you know, will pull a pitcher, will make uh, you know, switches. But we don't know if that's ever been open in the clubhouse of, hey, you guys want to have input in the lineup? Why don't you let me know who you think uh, should hit here? Or you know, how long should Giolito throw today? I doubt that's going on. It feels like this, let's pick who we're going to play, seems to be like a communal effort. Uh, yeah, but you know that that managers have always listened to their top players in the past. I mean, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but you've seen pitchers refuse to come out of games. It doesn't happen a lot anymore, but that's happened. And, and you've, you've, you've heard of guys talk themselves into a lineup when they're supposed to get a day off. I think Tim Anderson did that this year. So... I think the leadership in the room can have the the ear of the manager, but ultimately it's his decision. Uh, you, well, you, my, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I was just going to say my only issue with all of this really is, is, you know, as you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of moving parts in this whole scenario. When you talk about, you know, ownership, upper management, uh, players, coaches, the whole nine yards and who gets to make these decisions. When the decision is finally made there, you, there, you can't tell me that all of these pieces are in complete, agreements on how things should go and then what kind of discord does that create amongst your you know your organization your team your coaches and uh really i mean is it an advantage for a team to do the picking i did i'm not necessarily sure that it is uh it actually could play at a disadvantage if you know there is some sort of discord with all this as well so you know, just my two cents on that. No, yeah, and I, I think the one thing I would say is if there's a West Coast team like the Oakland A's, I mean, that we're not even choosing. That's not even a choice. It's like, no, we're not even going <laughs> to. No, thank not you. Even, not, not even going to dance with the devil. Can we vote that. them out? <laughs> yeah. Is that a possibility? I don't know if you can do that. Can you vote them off the island? Is that a, is that a possibility to happen? <laughs> I do think it has to be a, a one voice thing, and 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 if this gets adopted in. You would hope that these conversations are had months and months ahead of time in the hypothetical, what if, how are we going to uh, scaffold this to come up with one message? Uh, you'd hope that would happen. 
Yeah, that's definitely a decision that cannot be made overnight, for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a that's a lot to put on. I mean, whoever's making the decision, whoever ultimately, uh, you know, I, I assume that there would probably be like some sort of a weighted uh, a weighted thing where you know the owner counts as as so many votes and the players count you know count as so many votes and the general manager and yada yada. I mean, that's a, that's that's a, a a pretty big decision to uh, to put those guys i mean basically you're looking at another uh you know negotiation inside of you know this situation just just alone i mean it's and it, i mean who knows if it's going to cause turmoil you know if, i don't know it just seems like something that uh unav- it's avoidable i hope that jerry doesn't get a vote he might sell the spot he might just say can i get some cash for this playoff spot on <laughs> <laughs> i thing What's up? Selling spots. It's the Illinois thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just want to uh, point out, thanks for the uh, resub, Grimtall. Uh, as Eli says, we see you, my friend. Thank you for coming in. <laughs> Give you a little uh, TLR trot as well while we're while we're here. There he, there he goes. There he is. Uh, yeah, so... Oof. Yeah, there. I mean, I I saw that 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 was one of the uh, one of the playoff formats. The other one I saw was the uh, the one I think that the uh, I think that was was that the owners that uh, that that um, tried to sell that one. I can't remember if it was the players or if it was the uh, or whether it was ownership. Uh, I mean, we all pretty much agree that it's a it seems like a pretty bad idea. But uh, I know that there was another one that was. Uh, the uh the that the players definitely did which was talking about realigning the the uh divisions and i don't know about you but uh i remember way back when um when the white Sox were first starting to come into their own and every stinking year they had to deal with jose canseco tony larusa mark mcguire and uh dave stewart and uh ricky henderson and all those guys you know how do you guys feel about the uh, the realignment of the divisions? Um, you're 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 talking a great documentary by the guys at Last Comiskey that that talk about that 1990 Sox team. What a fun, exciting Sox team that was! But they just uh, they they couldn't match with the powerhouse of the Oakland with the Oakland A's. Um, I mean, I grew up and, and knew those that AL West very well. Um, I was really uh, interested. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I, I I was really interested a, a year or so ago when they were really talking more geographical and, and they kind of just were going to blow up the ALNL. If you're looking at universal DH, just completely just scramble everything up. So the Sox would be more in a geographical um, division and this again depends on if there's going to be expansion where we would be with Milwaukee and with St. Louis and with, you know, the North siders and, um, you know, Detroit. And I don't, I don't know how that can work in terms of uh, two divisions in a league. Um, again, I think there's going to be expansion eventually, but I was more interested in, in, in kind of playing the teams that are around you geographically the most. 
I'm I'm in for again. I'm in for anything interesting and new and change that'll freshen the game up. I, I love the game of baseball, but things that that can make it different and new is great. There's no reason why they they can't go to a, a system where you play everybody in in baseball at least once. There's no reason why the Mets shouldn't be coming to Chicago more than just on the north side every year. Just to, to me, there's 162 games. You got to be able to find a way. And if it if it's realignment, if it's adjustment, you know, that's fine. I, I'm I've had my fill of the Tigers and the Royals and and the the Guardians and I've definitely had my fill of the Twins every, you know, 19 times a year. I'll I'll take something new, something but, different, Pat, something don't, fresh. Don't you want to build up rivalries, though? Don't you? You can still you? have a rivalry and not have to play somebody 19 times, Nick. <laughs> what right? if you really want I mean, to beat them down? In, aren't there rivalries in basketball and, 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 and in hockey? And they don't play each other 19 times a year. Yeah, Doesn't it I make guess. them all that more important and special? If you knock it down and make those games even that more, but but uh, there's 162 games. What are you going to do with all these games? Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. They have computers for that, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I would be interested. Uh, You know, if if you're talking about, uh, you know, completely. I mean, obviously, you'd still have to have like some form of an American League or a, a National League type thing because you would have to figure out. Well, I guess. I guess. Technically, you wouldn't really have to, but I mean, you would more than likely at least go with a uh, a, a two division type thing at least um, between AL and NL, so you could have some sort of a you know World Series at the end instead of just going with the top two teams total. Because I don't know, to me that probably sounds a little bit far off, but uh, you know, I could certainly get on board with seeing some different teams twenty times a year. Or seeing no teams twenty times a year. Um. So actually, uh, that uh, now that we're actually talking about uh, the Central Division, um, I was having a talk earlier today with somebody else, and they thought that the Tigers are going to start creeping up on the White Sox here. Um, he said twenty three. Now. We've seen what the uh, free agency market for the White Soxes look like. Um, as far as the current free agents that the White Sox have, um, are the only guys that you're even looking at Tapera and Rodon, or are you looking at the uh, the other guys as well? Um, Go ahead, Nick. Well, I mean, you know, I, I'm looking at, well, how are you going to get a legitimate uh, hopefully power hitting second baseman and how are you going to get a legitimate right fielder that we can have for a few years so we don't have to play this game all over again next year um now oh, i we I, talk about at the end of the year nick if we can't talk about what are we going to do in right field i, I mean that that's that's good for like four or five shows it really is especially when han will double down in the off season it's like Hey, this is our focus, right field. We're going to get it right this time. Um, you know, I think they need pitch. The Sox need um, they need more pitching. Um, I'm still looking at Tapera. Um, you know, you're going to have Kopech that it's going to slide into the rotation, but how many innings is he really going to log? Uh, not as many as as people think. Um, and hey, I'm excited for Kopech just about as anybody else to to be in the starting rotation, but. 
you almost need six arms in, in that rotation with how you're going to have to manage Kopech. Um, hey, the Sox aren't the only team that are right now trying to get their ducks in a row, and it sure sounded like the Sox, and I, when I say Sox, I mean Han, said, hey, we've got this plan. As soon as we're able to start executing it, we are going to strike, and we're going to strike fast. Well, so is everybody else. So you, you better have a game plan. Me personally, I, I, don't, I don't see a big ticket right fielder, and, and I, you know, I, don't, I don't know what to make of second base. I still believe that we're going to be trading for a second baseman if we can try to get rid of Kimbrell. For, for me, it's, it, if I'm Han, I'm like, well, how can I really get this, this bullpen and I need another starting pitcher arm? How, how can I get that? right away because you know everybody's going to be grabbing for those pitchers no doubt about it nick and and we've talked about it a lot i saw something on and i can't remember who uh wrote about it and so i apologize if they're listening and i'm stealing your stuff but somebody had mentioned the idea about putting uh Mankata back to second and then the, then you go after a third baseman that's that's available so that's that's something there and that's uh that's some power out of second base that we've that we haven't had does that screw him up and and the growth he's had i don't know i feel a little bit more confident than nick does that they will actually go out and get uh the right fielder that they've they've uh, pined for over the years and maybe the plan is like I just mentioned, maybe it's the moving of Mancata back to second and then going after somebody at third. So I, I, I'm more confident in, in Rick to deliver on what he mentioned on, which was, we'll be ready to go after this lockout is over. We have a plan in place. Uh, you know, cause, uh, cause I side with the suits apparently on our show. That's my job. It's on my contract. I have to side with the suits and Nick sides with them with the, the common folks. So, um, but I, I, I'm confident that right will get figured out. I'm not so much confident that they'll go out and get the pitcher that Nick wants. I feel like they have the solutions in house for that, but I think the position players will be, uh, will be filled. Yeah. Can, can somebody please address the Mankata to second? Uh, I, <laughs> I was going to, I was going to uh, open it to I, the floor. I can't let you slide on that one, man. Um, and I know I, you know, for those of you who are watching the stream, I'm sorry for those of you who are not watching the stream and are going to be listening to this on uh, the podcast when it's released tomorrow morning. But, uh, you know, Mr. Nick here uh, had a very visible reaction to uh, that. Look, he he's not going anywhere, Pat. I, I get it. It's, you can slide him over to second. Then it wasn't my idea. Him. It was just somebody I thought it was interesting. I didn't say I loved it. I said it was interesting. I um, said they could. Yeah, it, it is It is interesting. It, it is a very interesting. Um, but that's like when like a, a child brings home a piece of art and they're like, and you're like, that, that's interesting. That's something right there. Um, you want to keep... You want to keep Mankata at third base. You and I, Pat, have talked about this, and a lot of people have talked about this. He does not get enough credit. He's become a really good third baseman. He seems comfortable over there. The, the knock he is getting is his power numbers. And I think it goes back to the anniversary of the rebuild just recently where he was the big-ticket item. I mean, you could say Kopech, but Mankata was the big-ticket item that we got back for Chris Sale. And I feel like in a lot of fans' eyes, he hasn't lived up to whatever they imagined he was going to be. Maybe vying for an MVP, maybe, 
you know, uh, up there with home runs consistently, power numbers, uh, average. I don't know, but he's gonna he's gonna come into his own. He is. Um, I, I feel like you're you're letting the White Sox organization off the hook if you say, well, we'll just move Moncada. No, get a second baseman. You can do this. You as an organization can figure this out, and it should be this should be the year. Yeah, uh, I didn't I'm know glad. I was going to yell that today. <laughs> uh, not yelling, just uh, talking loudly. But, uh, you know, I- I'm on the same boat in that, that sense. Um, you know, obviously, there aren't a you – know, no offense to the guys that are still left out there on the board. When this a lockout does end, there really isn't a whole lot of uh, what I would call uh, – hole fillers, or I should say, they're, they're nothing but hole fillers, really, is what's left out there as far as uh, free agent second baseman. So my hope is that, you know, as Nick said, there is a uh, a trade partner to be had uh, for the White Sox so where we can find ourselves a second baseman. But uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, the free agents just aren't there anymore. Uh, those guys got picked up pretty quickly. Uh, as we saw, the you know, the hot stove came to a boil right before this uh, CBA so for the first so, time, and that's a good point, Danny. And let me throw this to you guys. I mean, because Pat and I kicked this idea around too when it came to free agents being signed so rapidly. Do do you feel, as a fan following this team forever, that the Sox were just unprepared? They were they were they were caught well off guard, and what was supposed to happen? I, I know that they probably weren't the only ones, but hey. You know, there's there shouldn't be any excuses. Like we've been building up to this type of free agency. It sure felt that way to me. Uh, and uh, Ian and Xavier and I have talked about it a little bit too. And I think I'll kind of let uh, Ian expound on that a little bit. But yeah, it definitely felt like they were caught with their, their pants down a little bit. Yeah, I I, me- I mentioned the same thing. You know, uh, I th- to me. Looking, you know, obviously just a fan, and I don't know what's going on in the back rooms and whatever, but, you know, when you see all of that activity, uh, and granted, you know, I know that some people will argue that it was only a couple of teams that uh, that really did the most of the damage out there, but, uh, you know, as as we've been told numerous times, the money will be spent, you know, and, uh, you know, like uh, Bill S. Preston and Bill and Ted's, you know, when we were told at the beginning of this rebuild that the money would be spent and, uh, you know, we're, we're finally to that point where the money's supposed to be uh, being spent and I feel lied to by my album covers, you know. I, I'm looking out there and, yes, the talent that they have accrued throughout this process has been top tier. And there are some really, really fantastic players on the team. And that, you know, I'm not by any means saying that the team's bad or that, uh, you know, that they haven't done a good job at building the team. But the thing is, is that when you have to fill a couple of spots and you're always uh, a day late and a dollar short on all of this stuff, it starts to raise questions and I, you know, I don't know where the disconnect is, whether it's, uh, I mean, I assume that it has to be a budgetary issue. And if that's the, if that's the case, then this is, you know, solely with the top of the organization. 
Let me let yeah. me ask you guys a question, just because it just crossed my mind. What do you think the rest of the clubhouse would feel like as you know they're a solid team, and then all of a sudden they would, if they were ever to sign a guy for you know three hundred million dollars or something, what kind of message does that send? And, and does that feel like it would disrupt the uh, the chemistry that's already in the room? It's a tough question. Honestly, uh, because there's a part of me that wants to think that, you know, these players all want to reach that pinnacle that, uh, you know, they, they want to bring home the uh, the flag trophy, you know. Um, but, you know, on the other side of that is the fact that the Sox have never actually signed a player to a six figure or I'm sorry, a, a nine figure deal, you know, uh, and it's it's hard to say how that would go in the clubhouse. You know, guys who have been, you know, lifelong players like Isaiah Abreu who get extended for hometown discounts, you know, multiple times. And then, you know, the most money you spent ever on a player is, uh, uh, you know, a catcher that you acquired a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden now you're willing to, you know, pay to play a little bit. Uh, it might shake things up a little bit. But again, I think, in the in the, the grand scheme of things, these guys all want to get to that that final destination, and I think mm-hmm. that might be the key to kind of keeping it all together. Yeah, I think it's a it's a pretty tough road to hoe when it comes to uh, comes to the egos and the and the paychecks that go out. You know, you you look down the uh, you know you look down the the locker aisle and you see somebody that's uh, you know making what you think that you should be making. And, uh, you know, that might, that might have some, some, uh, some repercussions as far as that stuff goes. But the thing is, is that if, if the player that you are getting is worth that, um, then, you know, if you, if, if you think that you should be making this money, well, when your contract's up, it's your time to make that money. And it's like, these guys can't, you, you can't, these guys can't blame anybody. I mean, it's most of them signed their extensions when they were fairly young and they got money up front that these other players did not get. So, you know, I mean, I don't, uh, I mean, it's a, again, like, are we feeling, you know, sorry for uh, multimillionaires? No, you know, but at the same time, you know, you sign that you sign the contract. So. Yeah. Let me just, uh, add this really mean, quick. most of the guys in that locker room are in, very similar situations. As you mentioned, they're all, you know, locked up for several years. They all signed pretty team friendly deals. And, and it feels like they've kind of all are in lockstep with the way they're going about their business. And then it just would be not that, not that I would, I'm agreeing with not I'm saying that the Sox shouldn't do this. I just think it would be interesting to see what would happen in, in the clubhouse. If all of a sudden you bring in one guy and he sure as hell better deliver because I think then that could cause a real issue. Yeah, I uh, I just wanted to add that you know as a fan, I really don't care <laughs> as long as these <laughs> yeah. guys do what they're paid to do. Uh, and I, I don't mean to to say that as a, like you know poo poo on your question, but uh, you know it's just uh, if that's what it takes to get the guy that's going to put him over the top as a fan, I want to see that happen. Uh, call me greedy. Call me whatever you want, or whatever you will. But you know, if that's a, if that's a deal that gets us to the promised land, well, the rest of these guys have already signed their contracts, and that's it, said and done. 
I want to bring up a couple of comments here from uh, Mark Orr, who's a guy who's on with us at uh, White Sox Daily. He says it happens on other teams, so there must be sort of some sort of acceptance. I think it depends on the level of player and their production career-wise. So I'm going to kick this out there uh, for whoever wants to answer it. Um, so all these guys did their early extensions, so they would get some money up front, and they're you know as mentioned, they are more of team-friendly deals. So do you think that one of the provisos that these guys had for you know thinking that it was a good idea to sign a team friendly deal was that at some point they were expecting ownership to go out and get a big ticket player that was going to have a bigger salary and that's why they're trying to leave that room i mean obviously i can't think i, I can't look into that too much because everybody wants to get paid but I think that they could have some sort, you know, have some sort of a rationalization in having conversations with Rick Hahn while he's, you know, while they're talking about this contract and saying, "Well, you know, we want to leave ourselves financial flexibility for the future, so we can re-sign our guys and go out and get, you know, the big guys that we need at some certain point." And do you think that maybe there might be some? you know, harbored resentment on that, that they have, that they haven't stepped out over that line and that maybe that might become a problem as well. I think so. Um, I think guys like Tim Anderson are so damn confident, uh, in their own ability and should be. And there are uh, several other players that are like that. And I think a guy like Robert's confidence is only going to grow. Uh, however, I think they know how things go in the league and you need some stud superstars to just kind of put them over the edge. And when they're looking around and they're seeing what the off uh, off season is like for the White Sox and we're so close, we're in this competitive window, but other teams in our division are only going to be getting better. Um, they're probably wondering to themselves and to their agent, like, what's the holdup here? You know, we we could have we could have got a couple of guys. I mean, Rob Robbie Ray is the guy that I constantly say to everybody that is in our budget. We could have gotten a guy like that, but Reinsdorf doesn't pay for pitching, which is a whole nother thing. So just don't even worry about that. But I'm sure that there are players on this White Sox organization that are like, well, what's the holdup here? Why are we not paying premium money for premium talent and just going after that one missing piece or maybe it's two missing pieces? I I I see your point, Nick, but I also think that there's enough ego in that locker room that I bet those guys also look at each other and go, we have enough. I just, that's, I, I don't know that they look like they, they like, please help us because we need help. I think it's, we fell short. We're going to, we've got enough in this room. There's enough talent here to get this done. It's not a please help us situation. It is, um, why not like really go for it here? You know, why not, you know, make a huge statement? You know, Jer Jerry can do it. We all know it, it, this budget that he is this self imposed budget that he builds a little cage around. This is the budget. It doesn't have to be that budget, but he makes it that budget. So I, I don't no, think I the hear, players I are looking at, I, I just, oh, somebody say, I think they're like, like, let's kick their teeth in. Like, let's really do it. You know? Yeah. Mm. No, that's what they said last year. You know, they said they were going to step on people's throats and finish them and whatever. And, you know, 
you ended up seeing the the end result and i'm not you know there was there was a lot of uh a lot of weird circumstances this year with the injuries and all that stuff and uh tony coming back and um you know i mean say what you will about that um kind of a I think there, I think we've said everything we can say about yeah that situation I mean but you know you, uh, what, you, know, that, you now you got you, made you an know, entire season out of that uh, that one topic so well I mean you're in your window and then you bring in a guy that hasn't you know managed in uh, almost a dozen years and uh you know you're you're waiting for him to play catch up on getting back into the modern game so you're just you know essentially throwing away a, a year of contention just on uh you know, some pretty, you know, simple, uh, fixes that could have been made. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, uh, Mark or, uh, donuts brings up a thing as says, hypothetically, how can any white Sox current right fielder argue that a guy like Castellanos deserves to be paid more than they are? And I hundred percent agree. I mean, it, you know, at a certain point, you know, they can say that we've got enough talent in the room to get what we need done. But at a certain point, if they're not getting it done, you can't go into uh, the next season thinking, I'm feeling very bullish about the futures of Sheets and Vaughn and, and expect the fan base to, you know, to, to see the same thing. I mean, I, I'm not saying that I don't think that either of them could play the position, but at the same time, I'm looking at it and saying, I don't know that they can. You know, I know that they could, uh, you yeah. know, that Sheets, you know, in a in a small window played pretty decent. I know that uh, Andrew Vaughn did okay in left field. But if you look at the metrics uh, expounded over a year, Eloy was actually a better left fielder than Vaughn was in the, you know, in the 300 or so innings that he played. So now we're going to no, move into right field. Something. You are you are 100% correct. Um, as As a fan, having Han say that, that's reassuring maybe in 2018 that you're really excited about the potential for Vaughn and Sheets, but not entering 2022 when two dudes have never really played right field and you're going to go with those guys and say, I'm I'm feeling confident uh, that we can get something out of them. That's not the mindset. That shouldn't be the mindset in 2022. It's not supposed to be. I mean, no, you know, we, we were, we were sold a bill of goods and uh, that they would go out and do that. And, it, you know, we got Adam Eaton last year. <laughs> oh, no. You know, I mean, I we, oh. we talked about it on, on our stream slash pod. And I'm mm. sure you guys, pro- you know, like I, I don't I don't remember back that far, but I'm sure you guys probably said the exact same thing. You were like, what is going on here? I mean, I understand that they offered Jock Peterson $10 million, but, it, you know, in reality, you're looking at a platoon player. And with all the injuries that happened last year, he probably would have had right field all to himself. But, you know, at the same time, we're still looking at the at the same thing as a, a platoon situation, which is not what the team necessarily yeah, should be looking uh, for. Pat, Pat has had a pretty good point on this about, I and Pat, you can say it much better than I can about it. It almost seems like the Sox have this brand of we have to have this type of right fielder and – you might be limiting yourself uh, too. Well, much. it's always it's always been about they want the left-handed right fielder. They want the left-handed power right fielder, which is fine. Uh, but at the end of the day, I just want a good player. 
it, it doesn't matter to me if he's right-handed, left-handed, or if he's got no hands at all. If he's a good player, I, I, that's what I want in the team. I, I really could care less. Um, and they, it's like, okay, well, Mazzara, well, he's he's left-handed and he's got he hit a 500-foot home run one time. So let's get this guy in here and we're going to plug him in in right field. He's going to be fantastic. And he was god awful. And and dare I say, Adam Eaton in that month of April was better than Nomar Mazzara was the entire you know 60 game season. He did in 2020. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's been a void that, that has been a, you know, it's a, been a black hole out there in right field. And I don't know what the hell it is. Maybe it's the, I don't know what it, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know why they can't identify it, but I, I think they're just, they've got the blinders on and they say, well, if the, he, oh, it can't be Cassianos. He doesn't bat, bat uh, he doesn't bat left-handed. Maybe we'll go after Schwarber, even though he would be a butcher in right field, but he's left-handed and he's got power. I, I don't know. I, I just want the best possible player there can be, and I can try and find some left-handed power at a different position. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's uh, a tough one. Looking back, at, looking back at the chat here, I think uh, Mark Gore says it's the best when he says, "I don't want to hear about a player being serviceable in the outfield." Not a lot of confidence in that, and I have to agree. Uh, uh, we've been hearing that for so long, and and you know, even when we're hearing it, a lot of times that guy isn't even serviceable. You know, I don't think uh, Jay Glam would have uh, any issue with somebody getting paid more than he does because, let's be honest, somebody else deserves to get paid more than he does, and he knows it. And uh, us as fans have been watching that. I mean, Xavier, you know, our very own Xavier Sanchez went down the list of guys since, like, 2000. And, I mean, the list was way longer than I ever thought it was going to be of the number of guys that have played a handful, at least a handful of games in right field. Not a single one of them, besides from maybe Maglio, in the last you know 15 years has been really all that great. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And I'm sorry, you know, Maglio played a lot of uh, you know left field for us too. But it's just uh, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things that as a White Sox fan we've kind of grown accustomed to. And I think we're all at the point that uh, enough's enough. Just do something. Give me. Somebody to feel confident about having out there every day and not uh, somebody to watch for 40 games and another guy that I'm have to watch for 60 games and another guy that's got to do, you know, 15 games. Let's, I'm, so, I'm tired of playing. Uh, so, so, Danny, it's like what you're saying is how the Sox picked a direction with the rebuild in 2016 instead of trying to put Band-Aids on some things and maybe be somewhat competitive and uh, we'll piecemeal this together. They finally said in 2016, this is the direction. We're going to tear this thing down and we're going to rebuild. That That's what needs to happen in right field. No more of these little experimental things. We'll put Polka out there or maybe Mazzara or Eaton. No, no, no. Go with a guy, a proven guy, just do it already and pick a direction and we can move in that direction for multiple years. Exactly. I want to see somebody that can give me 140 games a year instead of 40. Wow, that'd be nice. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, yeah. it's we're, we're not in 2017 or 18 anymore where you can throw a guy out there and see if he's going to stick. You know, this is supposed to be the time where they're supposed to be competing. And if you're sitting here, you know, making excuses for uh, rookies that you brought up, you know, like uh, Andrew Vaughn, who hadn't ever hit above 253 in advanced A, and now he's your DH. 
last year because uh, that's the we, we feel confident that he's going to go out and do it. And then Aloy ends up getting injured, and now, now he's your left fielder. You know, I mean, and then you have to sign uh, Goodwin and Hamilton because other guys are getting injured, and then uh, Engel's injured. And, you know, then this year we're going to go into a, a tripod uh, a platoon with Eaton and Sheets and Vaughn in right field, you know, alternating at DH. Like, I just – at some point you have to at least get somebody who is a an actual proven serviceable hitter, even if it's a, a consistent 260 hitter every year you know, at least go that route instead of just automatically assuming that some guy that's got 160 at-bats in the major leagues and had a fairly decent run is going to go out and replicate that the next year and be, you know, having some sort of a confidence in that. I I just don't, uh, you know, I mean, to me, that's like a trade thing. I would not have been upset. I would have been a little confused and maybe disheartened, but not upset if they truly brought Avi uh, Garcia back and said, okay, this is the guy. This is the guy we're going to have out there. He's got he's got some years now under his belt. He's got some experience, some success. We're going to give this guy a, a three-year deal. I, I, you know, it would have been a very socks-like move. It wouldn't have been, you know, well probably received, but at least it's like, here's a solid guy that could play right fielder, an actual right fielder that can hit probably. I, I just, I just, I, Nick, I, I think that's, that wouldn't be a, a terrible thing to have, that if that would have happened because you know when Avi got here he was supposed to be the guy right he was he was billed as the next Miguel well, Cabrera between him and uh, Gordon Beckham I mean Hawk Harrelson yeah. couldn't say enough about those oh two guys well Hawk yeah. couldn't say enough about a lot of guys but <laughs> um you know I go back and I just thinking about it now with with the well we we feel very bullish on Vaughn and Sheets I just feel like that's if I'm going to dissect Han speak a little bit, I feel that's like one of his, I don't want to show my hand type of comments. In my opinion, I could be way wrong. It could be, it could be a sheets and Vaughn platoon in right field when we start the 2022 season again. But I just feel like that's a comment of him, like not showing his hand on what he's really thinking and what he wants to get done out there. God, I hope Maybe you're I'm right. Crazy. Uh, no, I, I really, I really hope you're right. I'm thinking, uh, at this point, the way the uh, the offseason started and how hot things did get before the uh, the lockout, um, I'm really just kind of hoping now that they can go out and they can fill the hole in right field and second base enough to not see Leori Garcia start every day. Oh, plain and simple. <laughs> Your lips to God's ears. Well, see, the thing is, though, is that they signed him, and that's Tony's guy, and he's an everyday player that plays a lot of positions. So, you know, you won't see him in right field every day. But you'll see him in right field one day and then second base one day and then third base because Johan needs a day or two off because, you know, he's got a sore hamstring from uh, running out a single somewhere and uh, Eloy ran into the wall or uh, turned into a flounder out in left field and got stuck in the net and now you got him in left field. I mean, he's going to play every day. There's uh, there's no way around that. Um, Yeah. I got to bust my ball all the time, man. It's realism, I, man. It's it's nice to have uh, Lurie back. There's a place for him. Um, you know, you look at a lot of successful teams as of recent. 
recently in MLB, you got to have that guy. And I'm going to call him a super utility. I know TLR hates uh, that term for Lurie, but that's what he is. You got to have those types of guys. He's just not an everyday um, uh, second baseman that's going to log 135, 145 games for you and, and hit for power. Yeah, I was not unhappy about the signing of, uh, you know, the re-signing of Larry. I didn't think it was a bad move. It was just kind of one of those uh, moves that I was like, of course that, of course they just re-signed Larry and nothing else has been, you know, I mean, Kendall Graveman, cool, you know, bullpen. But, uh, you know, when I look at uh, the White Sox minor leagues, I see guys in the minor leagues that I feel that, I mean, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Graveman was great last year. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that he's not. However, I see guys in the minor leagues that I feel that at least one of any of these 10 guys, at least somebody's probably going to uh, come out and be a, you know, an ass kicker out of the, out of the bullpen. And uh, when I look at right field and I look at second base, I don't see that. So, you know, I understand that there is a, uh, you know, that when we look at things, there's a priority list and that things don't always necessarily get done in that order. Um, it still seems to me, you know, like when he went out and got Grandal, he went out and got Grandal and signed him right away, you know? So I know that they are perfectly capable of doing that. So, but, you know, you can't. And I, and I would say in for Hendricks too. Hendricks took a little bit longer, but I think they they had him in, in their crosshairs from the beginning, and they landed him. Just took a little bit longer, but I think he was always the guy uh, last year. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. We he was talked about being on their radar for most of the off season, uh, and you know they they finally won out on one that we heard about for, for so long. And, you know, in times past, we've heard about guys for two or three months and, you know, lo and behold, uh, we uh, we put what we thought was a fair offer out there and it just didn't work out that way. You know, you can throw out those names where guys were offered, you know, a couple extra million dollars or, you know, we could talk about the Machado deal all we want to where, you know, it was incentive laden. They didn't want to give them the uh, guaranteed money at the end there. But uh, uh, the reality is, is I, I, I have to agree, you know, uh, he was in their crosshairs pretty much all offseason. We heard about it early and often, and, and uh, they went out and got him. But uh, just to go back to Ian's point real quick, what you're saying, Ian, sounds to me like bullpen should not have been the first move that we heard about this offseason. And it, is it possible that that uh, $8 million a year could have been spent better elsewhere, being that the Sox have the uh, fifth highest payroll in the game at the moment? Well, that's also before 85% of the free agents have signed. So, I mean, I have absolutely no doubt that they're still going to fall back to like 10th to 12th, you know, just my, my personal opinion. I, I don't see them being in the, uh, in the top, certainly not in the top five. I would be actually thinking more around like eight, if it was going to even be in the top 10, um, but yeah, I mean, it seems to me when I look at it that, uh, you know, they're going to obviously, you know, everybody on here has talked about the fact that we are fairly certain that they're shopping Kimbrel and want to get rid of him. So they're $16 million off your books. 
And, uh, you know, at that point, then you're, uh, I think you're like around seven or eight. So if they trade him and they, they can't get a, uh, I mean, I know everybody's talked about uh, Gene Segura, but, uh, you know, there's no, I know I've heard everybody that's a White Sox fan talk about Gene Segura, but the Phillies people don't seem to think that he's going anywhere. So if that's the case, you know, you're not going to want to, at a certain point, you know, you can't keep on trying to get a starting second baseman with Kimbrel. You know, if whoever you're trading with that has what, you know, higher value, you're not going to settle for getting lower value just because the person's a second baseman. You have to do what's best for the team. And if you can get some decent prospects back for Kimbrel, you take the decent prospects and then you move on and try and get a second baseman. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, to me, it doesn't seem to me that this $16 million that Kimbrel's owed and this $18 million that Keuchel's owed, you know, with those two salaries, you know, there goes, you know, 15, 20% of your payroll. So should that be what's holding them up? It, it it seems odd that uh, Han would talk about how the trade market didn't materialize like they wanted it to. They didn't react to any of the free agent signings. We 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 kind of went over we went over that. So in my mind, I'm trying to put everything together. Han's comments about Kimbrel, they didn't really. They don't know where to do what to do with him. Basically, is what I'm I'm hearing from his comments, um, which is not a good sign going into 2022. So, you know, me as a fan, I'm like, well, you're obviously then trying to trade, and if you're not willing to spend money on a second baseman, then you must be trying to trade for a second baseman. And the Phillies seem to be one of those partners. Now they bolstered their bullpen at you know the 11th hour, so I don't know if they're still you know, a, a suitor for a guy like Kimbrell. But I hear what you're saying, Ian. A, at this point, I think it's more of, I don't think Kimbrell can exist on this team moving forward. So let's not necessarily fall in love with a, well, Kimbrell for second baseman. I think it's just Kimbrell, you're, we need to get rid of you and your 16 million. We need to get back w- whatever we can. And, and hopefully it is a, a few talented players. No, please. That's all I had to say is just getting that money off the books would be big. Yeah, but I also wouldn't be in a huge rush to do it before the beginning of the season. You might get more value for him the closer you wait to the trade deadline as people are looking for bullpen help. Now, who knows what kind of player you're going to have the first half of the year in a Craig Kimbrell because if he performs like he did for the majority of last year uh, with us, then then you're not going to get much for him. But... It would be an interesting thing to think of if you could, if he was pitching well enough that you could move him to maximize your return, or if he's pitching that well, do you just keep him? So it'll be that would be the interesting thing to watch if they can't move him before the season starts. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where they're they kind of pigeonhole themselves by trading for another closer, and then they go and sign Graveman as well. So now the innings that maybe you could, you know, say that the trade market did not materialize the thought that you would, 
the way you thought it was going to happen. Um, sorry to disappoint you that everybody didn't uh, line up for uh, Craig Kimbrell's services and offer you their all pro, uh, you know, their all star second baseman. But, you know, at some point, I would think that with the way that they have built this bullpen, that you just want to get rid of him. He's got to go. So if somebody's willing to give you, you know, one of their, uh, you know, top 10 prospects and uh, some other guys at this point, you know, from what Han's saying in the press is that they're fairly certain that they don't want him. If, if, if Rick Han is saying on in an interview saying that we're shopping him, I don't remember any other time where Rick Han has said, we're shopping this guy. I mean, to me, that seems like it's fairly written in stone that this guy's gone. So what do you do? Yeah, I, I think you're right with that. It, 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 Han doesn't, doesn't um, reveal his plans very often, that, that clearly. And you didn't need to decipher, decipher anything. You, you knew what he was saying when he uh, spoke like that. Now, going back a little bit uh, to tie in some of the things we were saying about the clubhouse and if guys kind of react when maybe a big signing is made or if they look around to see, hey, is our team going to spend money? I'm sure there were guys that looked around and, and looked at each other. Wait a second. We just got Craig Kimbrell. We just got Kimbrell at the at the trade deadline. We are clearly going all in for it. I mean, that's how we all felt. We were a little confused maybe of how he might be used, but that was the big arm. And the fact that, you know, Han did speak up and and say, we, hey, that failed. That experiment failed. We kind of didn't know what we were doing. And maybe he put a little bit of it on Kimbrel. Of maybe Kimbrel didn't know what he was doing in, in the eighth inning. That That's a whole nother thing that we can dissect. But yeah, Ian, I mean, Han said it pretty clearly in my mind of we just don't know what to do with this guy and uh, and we're looking for some other team to help us out. <laughs> That's uh, probably the best way to put it, help us out. Yeah. Uh, Somebody and, you know, take other, this guy. <laughs> the other question with that is if you can't unload Card Kimbrell, what does that do for him donning a White Sox uniform next season after you have been told over and over again, and maybe not told directly, but you've been hearing your name mentioned of being shopped all offseason long. Uh, you know, I think he would probably appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the only thing, my, my only thing is, is he's obviously playing for a contract again if he wants to stay in the game of baseball. So do you go out there and try to prove everybody wrong? Or do you go out there and shit the bed? Because you have been shit on all offseason by your own general manager. Well, it, it, you could look at it that way, but they, you could also look at it as, listen, we know he's a veteran guy. He's a potential future Hall of Famer. And we're trying to do you a favor and try and move you so you can get back to closing, get back to doing what you uh, are, are, you know, one of the best in the world at. So it might be a thing. Thank you for, for trying to accommodate something that's going to help me in the long run. You don't know. Maybe it's not that way, but I, I don't know that Rick Hahn would do himself a, a, a service by trying to shit all over you know, current players. 
Pat, here's a that hypothetical for you, Pat. If Kim, if you're, if we go along with the idea that Kimbrel might stay on the 2022 sacks for a little while, where mm. would you see him? Do you see him going into the ninth oh, inning Lord, to the heaven. traditional I, closer I think role? <laughs> I think you blindfold him and tell him it's a, it's the ninth inning. You're fine, and and see how you get you get gypsies in there. You get some type of therapist. Whatever you got to do to get the guy convinced that it's the ninth inning when he goes out there, no matter what inning it is, <laughs> I have no gypsies. idea. I, they can't even pay premium money for a second baseman, or they're going to get gypsies on the payroll. I love it. <laughs> well, then you uh, can make a gypsy night out of it, Nick, and, and then you have some giveaways. It's going to be a wonderful thing. The two for one deal. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know what you're. I don't know what the plan will be because I don't see Hendricks leaving the ninth. I don't really want him to leave. He the ninth. shouldn't, nor nor should um, he. I, yeah, I, no. It'd be nice. To, it'd be nice for this. The pen is mightier uh, concept to come back, and you think about okay, we you know bummer bummer returns back to form. Maybe the luck. Maybe the ball bounces a little bit better for him this year. Maybe Crochet adds another you know mile or two back that he seemed like he had lost from his previous year. And, 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 you know, then this bullpen potentially on paper could be lights out, but Nick, you know, my thoughts on bullpens are finicky yeah. from year to year. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah. That's a, <clears throat> I, I, you know, like I said, there, there are some guys in triple uh, a and uh, some guys that are moving up from double a will probably moving up from double a after last year that uh, would certainly be willing to, uh, put their hats in the ring for uh, a spot in the bullpen. Um, I mean, I don't think that you probably, uh, I mean, they'll probably give him a shot, but after uh, the beginning of the season last year for Foster, I don't see him uh, probably ever doing anything for the White Sox ever again. He probably is going to need one of those change of scenery deals just because uh, him and TLR, he probably is not feeling a whole lot of confidence from TLR or in TLR, you know, with how uh, his season went. Um, but, I mean, we, we've seen the White Sox churn out bullpen arms, you know. That's why they draft all these uh, all these college relievers is because they're looking for the next guys to fill in in the bullpen because they don't want to have to uh, tr- make all these, you know, all these trades for uh, guys like, uh, like a Kimbrel. And yet they, they did, and it didn't end up working out. So, you know, here we are back at uh, – needing a second baseman and still need a right fielder. And we've got an extra closer. So saying that, uh, you know, with the signing of Kendall Graveman, do you think that makes Ryan Tapera a goner for the White Sox this year? Uh, th- that would be an expensive bullpen if they, if well, it depends. Well, I wonder what Tapera's uh, value will be. I mean, he, he obviously looked at that Graveman situation is paying attention to that situation. Um, I, you know, does, does the domino, does the Kimbrel domino have to go or, or will they not have that opportunity going back to what we talked about and how aggressive teams might be after the lockout, some team might have Tapera on their list. If we are going after this guy where maybe the socks are more of, we need to figure out what we're going to do with Kimbrel. I would welcome Tapera back, of course, but there, you know, if you're still trying to figure out how to pay for a second baseman and right fielder, it gets a little tricky. Yeah, so- I'd love to have Tapera back, but I, I'm not. 
you know, given what we what we picked up in Graveman, I, I'm not going to be too concerned if we aren't able to bring him back. Um, I think, you know, we, we've got his replacement. And again, year to year, you just never know what you're going to get out of guys. Yeah, I agree yeah, with definitely that. Definitely a lot of volatility in the fun. Yeah, and also, I mean, to to bring up the payroll again, you have thirty nine million dollars right now in Aaron Bummer, Kendall Graveman, Liam Hendricks, and Craig Kimbrell. That's twenty five percent of your payroll is just to four relievers. So, you know, I I don't see how they can keep Kimbrell. Um, just keeping the uh, the percentages of what what they realistically should be spending on the bullpen budget wise. Uh, to me, it seems like they, they've got a little bit too much money tied up in that bullpen without it being, you know, the, the uh, Yankees, you know, where they go out and spend, you know, $50 million one year on just bullpen arms, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm go ahead and call it for the, uh, call it for the evening tonight. What do you guys think? guys got anything uh, any final words here i just enjoyed uh being on i appreciate uh being invited i hope uh i hope you thought nick and i were somewhat entertaining at least nick is usually so thank you for having us hey we we really appreciate having you guys on i mean uh it's really i i think that uh you know the white Sox uh podcast slash streamcast uh community has a lot of uh a lot of good people in it and uh, a lot of people that are willing to uh, do for other people. And uh, we really appreciate having you guys on. Yeah. Th- thank you guys. I mean, I-, I think you said it, said it well. I mean, we're all, you know, you know, we're all just here for the love of the socks for our, for our passion for this team. And uh, it is so great interacting with, with other folks that, you know, we will do this sometimes in a vacuum and like Pat and I will just be like, are, are we making sense? Are we arguing about the, the something that no one else is arguing about? So it's kind of cool to get with, with you guys. And yeah, yeah, it's the same. All Sox fans are kind of yelling about the same stuff, but to hear different <laughs> perspectives is, uh, is enjoyable. So thank you guys very much. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, uh, I will just say that it's been really fun. And uh, like Ian says, thank you guys for being here. And, uh, you know, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there now. Hopefully we can do this again, whether it's on the uh, Good Guys Talk back or right back here on uh, White Sox Daily. But uh, definitely awesome and definitely would look forward to doing it again with you guys. For sure. Yes, All right. for well, sure. Uh, so for uh, everybody that's in the chat and has been watching, we appreciate you guys coming out and uh, hanging out. And uh, for everybody that's listening in the podcast, uh, we appreciate that as well. Um, we'd like to... Uh, Thank Nick and Pat from Good Guys Talk Back. You guys can find their podcast wherever you find your podcasts. You can find our podcast wherever you like your podcasts. And uh, for myself, Ian Eskridge, and for my co-hosts, Xavier Sanchez and Danny Miller, I'd like to say thank you and uh, have a great night. Thanks.